have to tell them a little louder with that mask. Amen. It's quiet on a Wednesday night in the house of the Lord. But hey, we're here. Amen. What a joy to be in the house of the Lord tonight. And those of you watching online, thank you. And uh, you know, just I love Wednesday nights, that halfway point between Sundays. It's a long time between Sundays. From Sunday to Sunday is a really long time. You know, occasionally you'll run into that person that, you know, doesn't have a church background. And, uh, you know, they want to know what you do. And you're like, well, I go to church. And they're like, no, I mean, like, what do you do, like, for fun? Well, I go to church. <laughs> what? No, what do you do for, like, exercise? I go to church. <laughs> Amen. But, uh, you know, you would think it odd if, if someone just ate once a week, you know, on Sunday morning. It's like, okay, I eat on Sundays. I'm good. That's a long time. And I'm thankful that we have this midweek check-in where we can come and uh, see one another, worship the Lord, and uh, <clears throat> dive into the Word of the Lord a little bit. Amen. A few quick announcements. Um, some of you have been having trouble with our online giving uh, platform. We are uh, right near the point of changing that. We're doing testing now. And again, I'm not brave enough to give you a date, but I can tell you this. It will be... Uh, very quickly, and we're changing uh, platforms. If you have any trouble giving in the next couple of days, though, feel free to contact our office. They'll help you. And for those of you that do give online, we'll send out a note explaining to you how to uh, give on the new platform. It's very easy, very simple, much more uh, so than what we have now. So I think you're going to like that. Amen. And it's good to see the progress in our town The uh, uh, concerning COVID. Case counts keep going down. Positivity rates go down. Mortality rates going down. Um, um, all of the stuff's just going down. Hospitalizations are going down. So I can just tell you, you need to save one of these. You know, churches, when they pay off their mortgage, they have a note burning. <laughs> We're going to have a mask burning service. So just go ahead and save one of these. And uh, I'm, I'm uh, with, with the uh, uh, rules and all for the vaccines uh, getting opened up and all, a lot of people are getting vaccines. And so a lot of you are getting vaccines. And so, again, I'm not going to give you a date tonight, but I can just tell you we are, we are on the tail end of this thing. So uh, hang in there with us for a few more weeks, and we will still move forward in a way that everyone who wants to be here can feel safe. But at some point uh, in the not-too-distant future, we'll be making, I think, some helpful, positive changes, and uh, so keep that uh, on the radar. Resurrection Sunday, Easter, April the 4th, looking forward to that, and it's always a joy to come and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we will have two services, 8.30 a.m., uh, we'll have a, a more traditional uh, worship set, and Bishop Bernard will be preaching in that service. 11 a.m. will be our usual format. I'll be preaching in that service. And also at 11 a.m. we'll have Kids Space Live over in one of our uh, spaces that are available. And so we're just going all out for Easter. And uh, it might just feel a little close to normal around here. So dress up the whole family. Get them here. And uh, we're going to have a great, great time. We're going to do everything safely as always. And, uh, but we're going to do it. So I want to encourage you to come. And uh, invite someone. Amen. You've got friends and family members probably that don't know where they can go right now. Well, they can come here safely. So by having the two services, we're spreading the crowd out even more. Uh, we will also, of course, have our overflow rooms in the event that we do fill up the second service. 
And with all of our children and children's ministry workers out in that service, we'll free up additional space. So I feel good that we'll have a great number here on Sunday, but with a lot of comfort built in. So uh, come on um, Resurrection Sunday. That's April the 4th, and you'll be blessed. I'm going to wrap up tonight our series, uh, Faith for All Seasons. Amen. You were beginning to wonder if I was going to go through all the seasons. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to wrap that up tonight. But, you know, I could just preach and teach about faith forever. In fact, if you're very attentive to topics, you know, sometimes uh, preachers disguise sermons with, you know, titles and text and stories and stuff. But if you drill past all of that and just kind of distill it down into what's the, to- what's the subject, what are we talking about? More often than not, I'm preaching about faith. Because it is, our, it is our bedrock. It's what connects us to God. And if anything uh, can get us off track, it's as, it's if our faith is shaken. Remember when Peter came uh, to the Lord and the Lord told him, you know, uh, Peter and Jesus have these very fascinating conversations in Scripture. And this is one of them where Peter says, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. I'll do it. And Jesus says, well, not really. In fact, you're going to deny me. Um, and in fact, it's going to be really quickly. You're going to deny me. You're going to deny me more than once. And, uh, but Jesus tells him this. But he said, I have prayed for you. What? That you escape temptation? No. That you beat up the devil? No. He said, I, pray, I, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And it's in times of struggle, in times of challenge, that our faith sustains us. Our, our, our confidence in God. Our, our confidence in the Word of God, it's in those times that our faith is what sustains us. And uh, I'm not going to linger here uh, tonight, but uh, from Hebrews chapter 11, that very well-known chapter, we've referenced it several times over the last several weeks. Um, in Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you don't have a miracle, you need faith. You know, we talked about this a little bit, the gift of faith and maybe how that relates to other spiritual, supernatural gifts of the Spirit. My thought is that a gift of faith is what you get when you don't get a gift of healing. It's what you get when you don't get a gift of a working of miracles. It's what you get when you don't get a word of knowledge. God gives you the faith to keep walking through that circumstance without being delivered. And that's precisely what he told Peter. He said, Satan... Is going to sift you like wheat. Now, that uh, the the way they would you know separate you know the the chaff from the uh, kernel of wheat, uh, many different ways. Sometimes they would uh, uh, take a, a sledge pulled by animals and, uh, and and drag it over the wheat and break the kernels up and this sort of thing. But many times the actual separation of the chaff from the kernel would be some sort of, of fanning process where they would take. Uh, maybe it was a, a, like a flat wicker thing or something, some sort of fan type thing. And they would toss it up in the air and the wind would blow it, blow the chaff away, and the hard kernels would fall to the ground. And they would just keep doing that until the chaff would blow away and they would have a pile of wheat kernels there on the ground. And uh, this is why it's so odd, for example, when you read the story of Gideon, Gideon is, Gideon is threshing wheat by the wine press. In other words, he's not in a high area, a hill somewhere where the wind's blowing, where he can toss it up. He's hiding uh, because that's not the way you would thresh uh, wheat. But Jesus told Peter, he said, Satan has desired to have you, that he can sift you like wheat. In other words, 
Satan has desired to have you so he can take you apart piece by piece. The problem is that's not Satan's job for a believer. If there's any deconstruction that's to go on, that's God's prerogative. And in the painful process and however it would unfold, Jesus told Peter, he said, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. Not that the attempt would not happen. Not that the devil would just go away. He said, no, I prayed for you that you would be able to endure whatever you've got to endure. I prayed that your faith will not fail you. Faith. So I'm fascinated by this topic of faith. It's our, it's our bedrock. <clears throat> and it's, um, you know, um, we of course believe, we, we believe very literally in Scripture. We believe in the miracles of the Bible. We believe miracles are available today. But we also know by the testimony of the Bible itself and human experience, we're all going to die and we all don't receive the miracles that we hope for. We know that. If we received every miracle that we wanted, we would receive resurrection. And that's not ours yet. And so, we have to live by faith. And if, if we equate faith only with the reception of miracles... When you don't receive a miracle, it can actually be harmful to your faith, right? You've probably had that experience. We all have. You need something, you want something, you desire something. It doesn't happen. And, and sometimes it's easy to think, well, I must not have had faith. Well, that means Paul didn't have faith when they cut his head off. And Peter didn't have faith when they hung him upside down. And Jesus didn't have faith when they crucified him. In other words... There are times and seasons where we go through things and we don't get exactly what we want. But our faith in God sustains us. Our relationship with Him is built on the bedrock of our faith, our confidence in Him, period. And yes, a life lived like that will be the recipient of miracles, I assure you. A life that is lived trusting in God will be a life that receives healing. A life that is lived trusting God is a life that will have miraculous things happen, of course. But it's also a life that will be sustained when those things don't happen. Because if we just equate faith with the getting of stuff, and faith is a mechanism whereby we can sort of negotiate with God, and okay, I have faith, therefore He has to do something. God doesn't have to do anything. But if that's our thinking... When God doesn't perform the way we want God to perform, then we, we have this faith crisis in our life. Now, it's one thing to have a crisis. We all have crises, but we don't want to have a faith crisis. We may have a crisis where we don't understand. We may have a crisis where we wish it was different. We may have a crisis where we're asking questions of God, just like Job did. We may be in this crisis of not being able to make sense out of it, but that is a very different thing than having a crisis over whether or not you're going to believe in Him or not. And so you probably heard it said before, when you can't track Him, you trust Him. We just have faith in God. The just shall live by faith. Praise God. The just shall live by faith. And so our lives are rooted and built and established on this relationship that we have with God. And that relationship is simply grounded in faith. Now, if our idea is that somehow faith is currency, and that if we believe the right things hard enough, then we get whatever we want from God, that's where the trouble comes in. 
Because then when we don't get what we want, then we realize our currency therefore must not work or the vending machine's broken. Something's not working here. And so we have the breakdown. But there are other ways that the Bible talks about faith and how we can actually know that we have faith and how that we can know we have great faith whether we get anything or not. If you have your Bibles, surely someone does. Praise the Lord. Why don't you turn to John chapter 9 with me. John chapter 9. Yes, sir. John chapter 9. John chapter 9. I want to skip down to verse 6. And I want to read two verses from John chapter 9. John 9, 6. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. Now, that's Jesus. In case you're wondering, they didn't have toothpaste. And he anointed the eyes, or literally the word anointing, the root of that is like to rub, to smear. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. That means it's wet enough to cake up and smear. And the wet part is his spit. Okay? Now we know the end of the story so we can be self-righteous about it. But I'm not sure any of us would like be really enthused about this. If you think so, go home and experiment with the person you came to church with. <laughs> Verse 7. And he said to him, he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. Now, this is a blind man. So he, he probably hears the spit sound. And then he hears the silence. I don't know if there are gasps. Really, think about it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he hears people whispering, what is he doing? But he hears the spit. There's a long pause. And then he feels the fingers of Jesus on his face smearing mud on his eyes. And then Jesus says to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, I just want you to just think about this. Why does he need to go wash? Because Jesus made a mess out of him. If Jesus hadn't put mud on his face, the man wouldn't have needed to go wash. Yeah? Okay, you're good Bible interpreters here. I mean, just... just these stories are bizarre. And then Jesus says, okay, I created a condition where you need to do something. Now go wash. Now, I don't know how far they were from the Pool of Siloam. I don't know if the man had ever been to the Pool of Siloam. I don't know if he had to find a guide to get to the Pool of Siloam. I don't know if he had a walking stick, a dog. I don't know what he had. Probably They didn't probably have trained animals back then. I don't know how he got to the Pool of Siloam, and I don't know how long it took him. But Jesus gave him a condition that required him to go wash and then told him to go wash at some specified pool. He came back, washed his eyes, and when he came back, he was seeing. He had, he had previously been blind. Now, what is the whole point 
of that story. Jesus could have just as easily said, receive your sight. Jesus could have just as easily said, be healed. He did that on many occasions. Jesus could have just as easily done a miracle in the moment. There's really no explanation for this other than Jesus was linking faith with obedience. Do you think I can heal you? Well, of course, that's why I'm here. Okay, let's test this out. And he makes some mud and he smears it on his eyes and then he tells the man to go. It's an exercise seemingly in futility when Jesus could have just healed the man on the spot. But Jesus is linking faith with obedience, something that we see interwoven throughout the Bible in, in, in both Testaments and very much so in the Gospels. Jesus is wanting to know how much this man really believes him. You know, it's like the, uh, you've heard the example before, you know, well, if the fireman comes in here screaming, fire, 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 get out of the building, right? You can sit here and say, well, yeah, I believe there's a fire, but I'm busy, okay? I, I, there's a fire, but we're, we're trying to sing. You can see that, sir. So when we get done singing, and he's like, no, you don't understand. The building's on fire. It's about to fall down. You need to get out of here. If you really believe what the person is saying, then you obey what comes attached to the information. And to have faith in God, there should be obedience that follows in our lives. To claim that we obey God or to claim that we have faith in God, it should be trailed by a life of obedience. You know, you've heard all this stuff before. And some of this very deluded Christianity today, you know, it's like people are like, well, nobody can judge me and don't, and all this rule. Well, nobody's judging anybody. That's up to God. But I can assure you, I can assure you that there are plenty of things in the Bible that God has asked us to do. There are things in the Bible that Jesus, it's in red letters, Jesus has asked us to do. And the degree of, the, the, the true degree and depth of my faith is not measured by whether or not I get a miracle or not. The true degree of my faith is not measured by whether or not I want something bad enough. And sometimes that's really what faith kind of devolves into, kind of becomes for us. We think, well, if I want something bad enough, then I'm, I'm trusting God. I'm, I'm just really believing God I'm for healing. You know, squint your eyes and you're pushing hard. I want it really bad. Wanting it's not the same thing as having faith. But I can tell you absolutely what is having faith is when we live a life of obedience to God. Now, this goes back to what I've said several times in the past few weeks. If you're here tonight, you have a lot more faith than you think you do. And you may be struggling with some things and you may have some challenges in your life and there may be issues in your family and you may have even some, some, some things that you're not sure about and all that. But to the extent that you are walking in obedience, you are a person of faith. Think about it. Now, um, of course, I'm a young person. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite 52 yet, so I'm, I'm just a half a century old. I started preaching when I was 17, believe it or not. I'm not proud of that moment at 17, but that's where it started. Um, grew up in a pastor's home before that, so I've seen a lot of stuff. seen a lot of stuff. And a lot of times I've seen people that... They're good with the worship environment. It feels good. It feels right. 
I mean, you can't come in here during worship. And if you're not moved, then, you know, it's like they said, if, 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 if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. I mean, the, the, you can feel the presence of God. You can be moved in this place. But live week after week after week after month after month after month after year after year after year and not address the obedience issues. But because we come in here and we feel that moving of the Spirit, we feel that touch of God, we think we, we kind of have that tag and we're like, okay, phew, I'm good, I can still feel it. Feeling is not the basis of our faith. But I can assure you that compliance to the express word of God is an indicator of the depth of our faith. And so sometimes you may feel like, well, I'm going through the struggle. I just don't feel like I have any faith at all. I don't know how I'm going to get through. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have an answer. I don't, I don't really know what to do. But you keep showing up to church. And you keep living morally. And you keep praying, even if in frustration. To the extent that you walk in obedience, you are a person of faith. We've got a lot of faith in this room tonight. Amen. We have a lot of faith in this room. And you might say, well, what about the struggles? Okay, we all have struggles, but are you, are you striving to the extent possible to live an obedient life? If you are, you're a person of faith. Amen. And when you think of it like that, then it becomes incumbent on all of us to evaluate whether it's the written word of God or things that God has spoken to us, God, things that God has asked of us. Am I living... Am I living a life that is compliant with the things God has asked of me? To me, that is a perfect way to gauge the depth of our faith. Am I living a life that is compliant with what God has asked of me? I think we all know this by experience. When we keep kicking the commitment can down the road, you know, God's told you to do something. Don't elbow your person you're with right now. When God's told you to do something, you know it's in the Bible and you've got to do that, or there's some special call, there's some tug, there's, some, there's just, you know you need to do it, and you just keep kicking that can down the road, you're not getting better off by doing that. But it is a wonderful moment when you comply with that, with whatever it is God's asking, with whatever it is God's requiring, with whatever it is God's tugging on your heart about, that moment when you comply, it is the most peaceful, most satisfying moment. Why? It is an expression of faith. It's an expression of faith. And so the extent to which my life is compliant with the Word of God is the extent to which I have faith. And so, therefore, you know, uh, it, it's sort of this, this oxymoron, you know, this whole idea about, you know, carnal Christians or nominal Christians or, you know, friends. No, no, no. The idea is to sell out entirely to Jesus Christ. The intent is to give every part of my life to Jesus Christ. The goal is to do everything that he has asked me to do. Not out of a sense of legalism, but out of a sense of faith. A sense that if God has said it, God has declared it, God has spoken it to me, then it is God's will. And if it is God's will, who am I to resist God's will? Do you remember the call, the call of, of Paul? The call of Paul. He was, he was out persecuting Christians. He was a very zealous Jew. And he was persecuting Christians. Um, and uh, he's out here doing his thing. And, you know, he's having people arrested and thrown in jail and all that. 
Finally, God's like, okay, I got enough of this, dude. I got some work for you to do. And God just like strikes him down in the road with a bright light. Now, if Paul had have complied earlier, he could have saved himself all of that experience. Three days blinded. Led to the house of some guy that has to be just led around like, you know, he doesn't know where he's at. He could have spared himself all that. But God begins to speak to him. When he strikes him down in the road, Paul says, who are you, Lord? Something bigger than me. Something better. You know, just something's overpowering me. Whatever you are, you're Lord right now. Who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. And then he says this, why do you keep kicking against the goads? That's farming language. A goad is a stick. A farmer would, would hitch oxen or cows or whatever to a plow. And, and, and he, he would plow. And when they would get off a little bit, he would take that stick. And if they get off to the right, he would just stab them in the side, on the right side. And that'd make them come over. And then if they'd get off on the left side, he'd take it and he would goad them in the left side. And God asked Paul the question, why do you keep kicking against the goads? In other words, I've been trying to get your attention. I've got this call on your life. I've got this claim on your life. And all those things that you thought were annoyances and all those things that you thought were, were, just, were just aggravating you, it was actually me. And I was just trying to get you into compliance. Now, God doesn't cause evil. The Bible is very clear about that. God doesn't call every, cause everything that happens in our life. Neither does the devil. There are nails in the road. You run over them, your car goes flat. That's not a spirit. But it can evoke one in you and me. But it is true God does allow some things and God does cause some things. Goes. And even things he doesn't cause, he can use. We run from his will. We run from compliance. We run from doing what we should have done. We get ourselves in trouble, and it hurts. And God's just sitting there saying, okay, I think I can use this. Boom, stab. Compliance with the will of God. Because the will of God and the purpose of God is the most satisfying and the most fulfilling way to live your life. God is not asking us to go to Calvary. He is not asking us to do the unreasonable. He is asking us to live a life that is the best life we could ever live, a life that is totally compliant with His will and His Word. Amen. And so ultimately, ultimately, the gauge of our faith is the degree of our compliance to the Word of God. I'll read you a few passages. I actually have a lot to read, but uh, we may run out of time. I'm going to read several of these quickly. We won't linger on most of them. John 14 and 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Sometimes we're very good editors. It's like, I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me. Oh, what about that other part? Oh, well, uh, well, I'll, I don't think it really means that. <laughs> well, if that part doesn't mean it, why don't we accept the part that says he loves us? Why don't we accept that part? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
In other words, the measure of our faith is not measured by emotion. It's not measured by feeling. It's not measured by how many miracles we receive. It's measured by our compliance with the word and the will of God. Faith. Because when we comply with him, what we are saying is what he says is more important than what I think. What he says has more authority in my life than my way of doing things. What he says becomes supreme in my life. It becomes the authority in my life. And that is, by definition, faith. When we believe in what God has said, greater than our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own plans, when we put the Word of God above our lives, and it is the foremost priority that we have, it's faith. Faith. Luke chapter 6, oh, some of these are pretty steep. Jesus, just pretty boldly, he says, why do you call me Lord? And you don't do the things that I say. <laughs> That's pretty startling, isn't it? And uh, every once in a while, I think we all sort of uh, just kind of wind up, you know, kind of in a heap, just kind of scratching our own heads thinking, you know, well, Lord, um, that's a really good question. <laughs> Let's try this again tomorrow. And he said, why are you calling me Lord? Why are you professing that I am Savior? Why are you in any way drawing that correlation between your life and me, but you don't do what I say? That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? From Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 7. I was reading several of these to you. That way you know I didn't make this stuff up. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that what does the will of my Father. The doing of the will of God. Now, this is in no way earning our salvation by what we do. This is us surrendering and aligning ourselves with what God has asked us to do. In other words, me aligning myself with His will is not me doing anything, really, except just getting out of the way. And that is one of the beautiful things about the Christian life is that when we can fully surrender, which is just get out of the way, God then can step into whatever situation we have and God can begin to move. You know, we use the analogy of you know, being in a driver's seat several weeks ago, but as long as we want to drive, guess what? He will let us. He will let us. And we're wanting him to give us directions and we're wanting him to, you know, put gas in the tank and we're wanting him to read the map to us, but we're still clenching the steering wheel. And he's like, cool. I was here when you got here. I'll be here when you're gone. When you run out of gas, let me know. When the whole time he's just wanting to take over. The whole time, he's just wanting to show us that there is a, a much more beautiful way to live a surrendered life. A surrendered life. Second Thessalonians, again, this is, a, this is pretty strong language. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians 1 and 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. I love that. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven, his return, with his mighty angels, why is he coming? Verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance. Wow, this sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Coming with angels, flaming fire, he's going to take vengeance. Guess who he's going to take vengeance on? 
He's going to take vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. That response of obedience. It's that obedient response. It's that saying yes to God. It's that getting in agreement with Him. It's surrendering the self and the will to His purpose and to His law and to His ideas. One of my favorite uh, stories, it's a tragic story, but it is one of my favorite stories. If you want to turn to the book of 1 Samuel, that's in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel. Um, lots of interesting things happen in, in the book of 1 Samuel. The anointing of the uh, work of the prophet Samuel, anointing of, of David and Saul. And you get all these wonderful, wonderful stories in there. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Okay, follow along with me. I'm just going to read a few verses, comment, and then we'll read a few more verses. 1 Samuel 15, beginning with verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. So the, here's the deal. Saul had been sent out on a journey and a mission by the prophet. The prophet said, do this and don't do that. He went out and he went on his little field trip, and he comes out, and the prophet Samuel meets him in the road. And Saul is like, well, praise the Lord, brother. It is so good to see you. That's what he's saying here. And so in 1513, he said, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He was to go out and conquer this, this, this city and this army. But Samuel said, what then, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul says, speak on. Samuel had told him, you go kill the Amalekites and you kill everything. Everything that breathes, you kill it. When Saul comes back, he saved all the animals. I mean, it's a good waste of mutton. I mean, don't just bring them home. He saved the king, chief adversary number one. He saves him. So, so. Saul goes out and willfully disobeys the command of God. Now, it's not because Saul is this soft-hearted guy. Saul's a warrior king, okay? This is no big deal to Saul. Kill one, kill them all, it's no big deal. He probably wasn't doing the dirty work anyway. So, he just decided, I think we're just going to keep all these animals and, uh, yeah, bring the king back. We'll bring him back and play games with him, humiliate him, whatever. Just bring them all back. And so he's marching. Prophet meets him in the road. Praise the Lord, prophet. I've done what you said. And Samuel says, no, you haven't done what I said. What's well, all this noise going on? It's all the sound of these sheep. Now skip down to verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord God as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. 
Wow. Now, Saul's explanation, I didn't take time to read it all for the sake of time. Saul says, or Samuel says, well, what's all the sound of those sheep and the cows? Oh, they brought them back so we could worship. That's what we're going to do. We're going to worship with them. We're going to offer them in sacrifices to God. Very noble, isn't it? Well, it sounds noble, doesn't it? Bring them back. Take them to the tabernacle, slaughter them all in a sacrifice, sweet-smelling savor, God will be happy, we've increased our worship, but that's not what God said do. And so Samuel lectures him on this, and then he gives this very well-known passage that I just read. Has God as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words... Does God want your ceremonial worship? Or does God want your obedience? Think about it. Saul is saying, we have come with all of these things to worship. And Samuel says, God doesn't want your worship. He wants your obedience. Because without the obedience, the worship is null and void. What a lesson. What a powerful lesson. It makes me, you know, I take this place very seriously. And, and almost every time before I preach, I pray a prayer of repentance, a prayer of searching. I want to do the will of God. I don't want to come in here and just, you know, hear the beautiful songs. And I want to think about, okay, what happened last Saturday, Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday? How did that go? Well, God doesn't take delight in the ceremonial worship unless it is accompanied by the obedience. And that's what God's looking for. And that is the measure of faith. And that is how we can know the extent of the strength of our faith and how we're doing with the Lord. Is my life compliant with the will of God? Period. What am I holding back from God? What am I keeping from Him? What am I not doing that I know I ought to be doing for God? How should I be living that I know I should be, but I'm just not? And Samuel says, God does not delight in burnt offerings in worship. He doesn't delight in that. And then this is that, 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 just, that staggering truth, he says. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to worship, and to heed, that is to obey as well, to heed the voice of the Lord, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity of idolatry. It's sort of that same comparison we saw in Habakkuk, where Habakkuk sets two ways before you. You can live according to pride, or you can live according to faith. You can live according to your ways, thinking that they're better than God's ways, or at least they're more convenient. Or you can live trusting God and having faith in God. Those are the two options that Habakkuk gives us. Similarly, Samuel here gives us sort of two options. He says, if you're not living in obedience, it's the same as if you were living in witchcraft. That is strong. That is strong. Now, I'm not saying every time we stumble and fall, every time we make a mistake that, you know, we should go out and buy a Ouija board and set the house on fire. But think about, think about what's at the root of it. If you're involved in witchcraft, you are worshiping something other than God. 
If you're involved in witchcraft, you are surrendering yourself to something other than God. If you're in witchcraft, you are yielding yourself and having confidence in and expecting something from something other than God. Your focus has shifted from God to what you can get out of it. The shift has taken place. That's what Samuel is saying. And he says to obey is better than worship. Now, ideally, we shouldn't pick between the two. The worship was God's idea. The whole system of sacrifices was God's idea. He wanted them to worship, but he wanted them to worship from hearts that were fully committed to him and submitted to him from obedient, submissive hearts. That's what God wanted. And Saul gets this rebuke as he changes and exchanges this life of obedience and submission just for a life of public worship. That's pretty powerful. Very powerful. I mentioned some of these passages last week, so I won't go into them again at length, but in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 11 and chapter 1, actually, too, God asked these questions, these rhetorical questions. He says, I don't want your holy days. He said, I, why are you bringing me all this stuff? And they're like, well, because you told us to bring it. And God said, I don't want you to bring it if your heart's not right. Now, we're the ones that are trying. We're here, Right? You guys online are trying doubly hard. We're trying. But it's a, it's a stark reminder to us that one of the best ways to gauge our faith is to gauge our compliance with what we know God wants from our lives. Because when we say yes and do it, what we're saying is I trust Him. Even if I don't like it, even if I don't understand it, if He says do it, then I do it. Faith. Faith and obedience. I'm going to fast forward a few things here and wrap up. First John, the epistles of John. First John, chapter 2, verse 3. John said, and hereby we do know that we know him. Okay, this is the evidence that you know God. If we keep his commandments. That's not that sloppy agape stuff you hear about on the radio. Yeah. John said, you know him. The evidence is that you know him if you keep his commandments. That's how you know you know God. He that saith, I know him and does not keep his commandments. Wow, strong words here. He said, that person is a liar. That's strong. But whoso keeps his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Awesome. Now, Here's a test of faith, okay? Here's a little test of faith. You want to know if you have faith? I'll, I'll help you answer the question. I'm just going to read you a short list. This is not all. A short list of Bible commands that we all should do. The extent to which we are doing them demonstrates our faith. Okay? You ready for this? Repent. I'm not talking 30 years ago. If you are in need of repentance from some error, repent. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's a command. It's not optional. It's not multiple choice. It's not maybe someday. Be baptized. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. Be holy. 
Honor your body as God's dwelling place. Love people who are determined to destroy you. Yeah. Wives, voluntarily submit to your husbands. If the husbands would act right, they would. Husbands, unconditionally, unconditionally, love your wives to the point of death. That's in the Bible. And that's not hypothetical out riding on a horse in a, in a jousting match somewhere. That's in your home when you don't feel like it. You do it anyway. Don't romanticize what love is. Well, that's another Wednesday. Okay, here we go. Commands of Scripture. Don't assert yourself. That's so un-American. Think about that. Don't avenge yourself. Give thanks in everything. Be faithful to the meetings of the church. Thank you very much. Don't sin. Don't. Always be joyful. Tell everyone about Jesus. Don't despise prophecies. Avoid every kind of evil. Obey the laws of the land. Submit to authority. Forgive all wrongs. Restore the fallen. Tell the truth. Don't gossip. Don't be a busybody. Work. Pay your taxes. Pray without ceasing. Worship God. Don't quench the moving of the Holy Spirit. Don't go to bed angry. We could go on, but I think that's sufficient. That's what a life in sync with God looks like. And it's so easy to forget that, isn't it? It's so easy to forget that. That's what a life in sync with God looks like. Because when we're putting our faith in Him and trusting in Him, we are aligning ourselves with His purpose and His will. His way of doing things. And His way of doing things is so much better than our way of doing things. I can assure you, you live that kind of life, you're a person who has peace. You live this kind of life, you're a person that has laid down your weapons and you don't have much to defend anymore and you're just not worried about a whole lot of stuff. But the more of this you don't do, the more miserable you get. And the more upset and the more dissatisfied and discontented and frustrated and, and you tie your happiness to Wall Street and to Washington and to downtown... See what I'm saying? The more you drift from this, the more unhappy you're going to be. But the more you align with this, the more peace you have. I don't know about you. I have enough things to worry about without worrying about needless things that I can't fix anyway. This is a pretty big list. And I'm not perfect at this. I miss some of these sometimes. Sometimes I kind of fall short and I'm like, wow, that didn't work out the way I thought it should work out. <laughs> but this is what we strive for. 
This is how we are knowing if we're trusting in God. When I'm trusting in God, I'm not trusting in everything else. And I'm trusting in God, I'm not relying on other things. I'm relying on God. And that's so... Those words are so simple and it's so obvious that it's so easy for us to miss the simplicity of that. Are we relying on God? Do we have faith in Him? Do we trust Him? From the time we get up to the time we go to bed, it's all of our hope, all of our aspirations just wrapped up in God. I trust in Him. It's a beautiful way to live. It's a peaceful way to live. Well, we're out of time. I want us to stand and go to the Lord in prayer. We can gauge our faith to the extent that our lives are in compliance to the Word of God, to the will of God for our lives. I want us to close in prayer, and I want us to pray this. Those of you that are online, join with us in prayer. I want us, maybe tonight, just all of us to pray a little searching prayer. Is there something that I've kind of just kept on covering up covering up, covering up. And it's like the Lord's like, you can cover it up. I still see it. And the Lord wants to deal with that. He wants to heal that. He wants to extract that. Something, maybe a commitment, a consecration that I just, I keep kicking it down the road. I'll do that later. I'll do that when I have more money. I'll do that when it's more convenient. Just that consecration, that nag. Ask the Lord to deal with it. Help you deal with it. And I wonder if all of us tonight, if we could just pray and say, Lord, I really, really want to do your will. And I believe that. If you're here tonight, I think everybody in this building wants to do the will of God. I wonder if we could just pray that sort of surrendering kind of prayer right now. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you tonight for your word. Thank you tonight for your goodness, your faithfulness to us. Lord, I pray that you would work in us tonight. Lord, I want to be a person of strong faith. Strong faith. That means that my life has to comply to your will. It means that my life has to comply to your word. I can't sort of just carve out pages and books and set it aside and say, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to worship Jesus. Lord, I want to come open, open-minded. I want to come with an open heart. I want you to speak to me. I want to surrender fully to you tonight. I want to walk in obedience. I want to submit my life to you Lord, in every part, Lord, every secret part, every hidden part, every thought, attitude, decision, choice, plans, dreams, hope, whatever it may be, Lord, I want to surrender it all to you. Praise God. Could we just offer worship to him together right now? Oh, his presence is here. Lord, we thank you tonight for your presence. We worship you tonight. We celebrate your grace and mercies to us tonight. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm glad I was here tonight with you. Amen. Glad to see you tonight. Stay strong out there. Keep going. We're at the end of this marathon. We are coming to the finish line. Um, Make plans to be here Sunday. Easter's coming. God bless you. We'll see you then. Take care.